The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 168 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize all opinions expressed in this show on my own and not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Well, folks, last week, George hosted the CEO and co-founder of Alpha Wave, Mr. Cody Pierce, on episode number 167 of TF7 Radio. Cody came on the show to unpack what motivates different cyber attackers, how an attacker goes through the process of targeting a business, how organizations define their attack service, and how the move to digital transformation, cloud migration, and work-from-home environments change the cybersecurity equation. Mr. Pierce also discussed the flip side of the coin and what motivates cyber defenders, how cyber defenders should think about defending their business, and how offense and defense differ in cybersecurity world. All this and much, much more at episode number 167 of Task Force 7 Radio. If you missed it, folks, don't sweat it. You can find us everywhere on Playback. That's the world from the hack attacker point of view on last week's episode. That's episode 167 of Task Force 7 Radio. So we have another return guest for you tonight, renowned global CISO Chief Privacy Officer, Dr. Rebecca Wynn has come back to join me on the show. Dr. Rebecca Wynn is an author and highly sought after keynote speaker at information security, cybersecurity, and privacy events. She was named 2017 Cybersecurity Professional of the Year, Cybersecurity Excellence Awards, Chief Privacy Officer, SC Magazine, Global Privacy and Security by Design, International Council Member, and Women in Technology Business Role Model in 2018. Dr. Wynn is lauded as a game changer who is 10 10 steps ahead in developing and enforcing cybersecurity and privacy best practices and policies. She's a big picture thinker who brings nearly 20 years experience in privacy compliant risk management, information security, assurance, and technology. She led the information security, privacy, and compliance pre-acquisition, acquisition, acquisition, and post-acquisition of Lauren Vest Incorporated, a Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, a Fortune 100 company. She excels at building and leading top performing teams, evaluating and implementing new technologies to keep pace with the rapidly changing business needs, delivering innovative solutions to keep ahead of potential security challenges and privacy issues, and taking companies to the next level of excellence in many sectors, including government, financial services, fintech, healthcare, legal, semiconductors, technology, and retail. It's my pleasure to introduce renowned global CISO, Chief Privacy Officer, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. Rebecca, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio. It's always great to have you on the show. Thanks, Andy. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be here with my family here at Task Force 7 Radio. I love it. I love it. It's a big family. It's always growing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, uh, you know, we got a lot of people coming on. We got a good, great following. Like we're super, we're super blessed to have the, you know, the people that follow us. Um, and you're always, always here, always welcome and appreciate it. Um, so listen, you know, Last September, I found this fascinating. I was doing a little research because I've got a coach, always focused on my, my health and well-being. And it, it was been a career journey for me. It's never been, it hasn't been easy, but something I put a focus on. And I read something by Gartner the other day that they published back in September that said, 
only 12% of CISOs are highly effective and well-being was one of the main criteria for that, that study, right? So, as that I know I've struggled with this and with our, all the stresses we have and listen, like what's going on in our community right now is, you know, crazy with all the different you know threats that we're dealing with. Right. Plus the pandemic, you know, what, what are you doing on the, rec- on the well-being side to recover and to put, put health a priority for you? You know, that's an excellent question. And it's one that you'll see that, you know, CISOs and not only us, CIOs and CTOs struggle with, and, and I've had peers struggle with it over the years. But one of the things is, is I think that we need to take a look really at, at CEOs, not necessarily CEOs, but CEOs. One of the things that I noticed um, when I worked for LearnVest on Alexa Von Topol is, is she was very stringent on making sure that she got the proper rest for her. And what she did is, is during the day where days can get chaotic, she went ahead and, and she kept pretty close her meal times and what she ate, you know, maybe yogurt, you know, as a snack, maybe a, a salad with an apple, maybe a snack later on as a popcorn. But she really kept those regimen. And that's one of the things that I looked at. I, you know, I've gone through a couple of years where I wasn't at the best health. And the reason I wasn't at the best health is because I literally was pulling Boku hours at my jobs trying to get everything done. It wasn't only being CISO and chief privacy officer, but it was also I have to be the lead architect and the engineer and the analyst and everything else underneath the sun because budgets were tight and I wasn't given the personnel that I needed to get. But still, you know, you have that number one mandate, which is really impossible for CISOs to take on their shoulder, but we're always asked to do this. We absolutely can't have any breach whatsoever. And so we're responsible. And so we have to do all these other type things. So what I did in starting in April of last year, 26, is I said, you know what, I need to absolutely put my health first because no one else is. And if I go ahead and put myself into an early grave, most companies as a whole are going to go, oh, sorry. And then they're going to be next. And so what I did is I, I initially had led a 30-day push-up challenge at work because I couldn't realize I couldn't do that many push-ups. And then what I went from there is I actually did a, um, and this was before the April um, 26. So I did 30 days and then I did 10 days where I did Sugar Buster Challenge. And I got through both of those. And I said, well, okay, what's your next excuse? You don't have one. So on the 26th is where I started keeping on my clean eating. And I had been borderline um, vegetarian, vegan. I was a very, very good junketarian. Um, it's, it's easy to go to a Red Bull and a, a bag of chips when you get really busy. But I said, you know what? I, I really need to start looking at my macros and what I'm doing in my macros. And I need to be able to go ahead and monitor better my sleep, try and what does it take to get better quality sleep? When's, when do I need to unplug? So I, I got a better Fitbit. I already had a Fitbit. Got a better Fitbit that monitored my heart and monitored my sleep a little bit better. And then what I did is, is every day I actually keep a journal how much water, and I keep on all my macros. So your B12s and your calciums and your glutamines and all those other type things. So last year, um, people follow my LinkedIn know that I, I dropped 70 pounds um, doing that. Right. The goal wasn't to lose 70 pounds. The goal was to get better health. Um, it's just my body was like, thank you very much. We don't need this. So I tell people I'm not the same person I was last year. Um, and then what I did is I, there's a lot of virtual races that are out there. And so I started doing virtual races. I started out with, and I, I walk because I've had um, both my knees have had major surgeries on them. Now I actually have turned more to be a, a runner. That's a walker runner, um, which I never thought I could have done again after those type of surgeries I had. Um, 
but now my body's stronger and it's rebuilt stuff. I can do that. So I started doing, you know, whether it's one mile, then I did 5K, then I did 10K, and then I did a half marathon, a 13.1. Um, and then what I just did, um, and I just posted um, over the weekend is I did the survivor challenge, you know, that's a hundred miles. You could do 50 miles too. And so I tell people, you know, people said, Oh, I don't know how it is to walk a mile in your shoes. Well, I can tell you, I know how it is walking a hundred mile in my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) It ain't long. Um, But that's the one thing. It it just really is is contrary and being healthier that way. And it's helped me deal with stress better. I'm not saying holistically, because one of the things that's just unreal in a lot of companies is that, you know, systems are really supposed to be available 24 hours a day. And that means actually being talking to people and being on your computer doing stuff a good 18 hours a day and every single day of the week. And you're supposed to be responsible for every single aspect underneath the sun, even if it's in your department or other departments. So part of it is the unrealistic demands on a CISO. Um, and that's, you know, why some people have other names for CISO. Um, I've read the, you know, chief information scapegoat officer and stuff like that. And, and you just, I tell people just avoid those type of jobs. Look for ones that also have executives that are looking for health. And, and I will tell you um, twice before now, um, I've actually had, whether it's been like VP of infrastructure or CTO, where literally they have been rushed to the hospital because they have worn themselves so thin, gone to the hospital, and then as soon as they got out of the hospital, had to jump back online and catch up on their work again. And yeah, I don't want to be that way. I don't yeah. want to be quite that way. I do pull a lot of hours, and the more healthy you get, the more hours you can put in, but it's it's shown that for, for every hour, really, that you put in after 50 to 55 hours, you're 85% less effective. But people keep thinking that, that they can p- keep piling on more and more, and they're actually piling on more and more hours to you and getting less and less and less productivity for you because the, the unreasonableness uh, for capacity and, and, product, and product, I would say for features, product timing and project timing, I think holistically it's a business issue with not being realistically on what can be delivered at one point in time. And a lot of times the companies are having a stronger issue in that. It's a project management issue. And then usually the root cause on that is people not realizing the process and procedures that go involved in that. And also a lot of times it's a toxic culture when you get down that level because the people who are doing the work are afraid to speak up. And if they're afraid to speak up to saying, hey, the timeline for these projects aren't realistic and here's why it's not realistic. And it, it ends up just being this whole catastrophic problem. And then the CISO has to deal with it. And usually in the end, or the, in the CIO have to deal in the end because things aren't delivered, things get rushed, and then you have a security, privacy, and risk management problem. So that's how I handle it, but it's also part of a bigger issue. But tell people, if you do not protect yourself and your health, no company out there is going to do it individually for you. I hope that yeah. answered your question. It was a little bit a lot. Yeah, I mean, I love it, right? I mean, it's a, it's a serious problem in our field, right? And, I, and, and look, just in executives in general, but I think especially in the, in the CISO community, or in the cybersecurity community, because we're always firefighting, the threats are changing, we're always under their gun, like there's always something going on. And you can, you know, without that dedicated focus and commitment to yourself, like you're not going to be able to lead people effectively within your organizations. And we're just going to perpetuate the problem, right? And I think, you know, we've got to be the ones that take a stand. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear you doing that. I, I know I'm doing it. Um, we're trying to push that here to make sure that, you know, we as a community are, are you know, healthier so we can, you know, protect, you know, critical infrastructure and the cybersecurity space even better. 
Um, so, but, but I do think you hit on something really interesting, which is, you know, you, you look at the CEOs, right. And, and I find that the top down culture of well-being is like the really is key. So what, are there any, you know, but I also know that folks that are, um, that work lower in the organizations, they may see us do these things, but then they're also still, you know, hesitant to not, um, do them for themselves because they still want to make sure that they're being productive. Like, and I know that's a journey, but was there anything specifically that you were doing that your people, once they saw you go on this journey that they said, okay, I want to, I want to jump on board and, you know, kind of how did that work out for you in terms of setting that example? Well, I would tell you, none of them wanted to become a vegan. (laughs) (laughs) One step at a time, I get them to eat meat a little less, but one of the things is for people out there that you can do is, you know, we sit at a desk quite a bit. Uh, when we're in office, a lot of times you get up and you do the belly to belly water cooler. You get up and you move around a lot more than you do naturally sitting at home. So what you do is, is in between meetings real quickly, do, do the 30 seconds. So go ahead and, and for 30 seconds or, you know, you can count for 30 seconds. Some of you guys might count real fast. Do, do you know, 30 seconds of push-ups. And then your next 30 seconds, do 30 seconds of squats. Um, next 30 seconds, just, you know, bring your knees up as high as you can. Do a lot of these little 30 seconds, do 30 seconds, maybe jumping jacks, maybe 30 seconds of arm circles. And, and you'll find that you're even starting to do that, that minute becomes to maybe a minute. Then it might become that, hey, I have, I'm taking a 30 second lunch break and I, I made myself a sandwich. Can you walk around outside while you eat your sandwich? get a little bit of sun because that way you see the sun. A lot of times we, we see darkness when we get up and get to work and we see darkness when we go back to bed. But then you start finding little ways to do that. Um, when I, I have a townhome, when I go upstairs in townhome, I take two stairs at a time. And I look forward to taking two stairs at a time. I, I know it's kind of weird now, but I do. I have a, I have a bench in, in my office and now I use it as a, as a step up. So now I do steps step up and you have to come down and because now I'm finding these other little things that I have that I can use. You have a staircase, you can use that to go ahead and, and do little stepper. Um, finding interesting ways just to go ahead and add even 30 seconds will, will change your life drastically. Yeah. And it's interesting too, right? Cause like, it's not like we're wearing business suits anymore right now, right? Everyone's in their gym clothes anyway, yeah. <laughs> right? You're at home on, on video in your gym clothes, you know, going to work, right? I mean, you really can you take a lot of that extra stuff out of it, right? Um, you know, one of the things that uh, we've done or I've done is start to take um, uh, cancel all like Zoom meetings on like a Friday, like no, you know, no scheduled meeting Fridays, right? So you can still chat, still pick up the phone, still have an impromptu meeting, but try to like not have like straight through back to back from the morning all the way to the night so that you can get up and move around and you can take that time and you're not just, you know, going and other things we've pushed to are, you know, instead of scheduling hour meetings or 30 minute meetings, make them 20 minute meetings or 45 minute meetings so that you've got gaps in between. So you can use that time to get up and move around and to focus on, you know, a little bit of your own well-being and kind of eat so you can prep between meetings or whatever it is, but just getting a little bit of that back. And so those are some of the things that we've done um, that I think have, have helped us, um, you know, try to focus on uh, little things that around the well-being space um, outside of the top-down culture stuff. Yeah, if, you know, having, if you have the right people or sometimes you just have to subnet your people out 
uh, subnet technology, um, is the 30-second dance party. Put a really good song on, everybody get up and dance now, right? You don't have to be on video, but just something like that. I've also just for mental, I've done on a Friday, like you said, when people have been really fried, where I've had everybody pick a really kind of fun video that's up maybe on YouTube, like maybe 90 seconds. You probably tell mine is always Kelly Clarkson, um, uh, her uplifting songs, um, but, but have like five, you know, five or six different people just pick a 90 second really fun type video that can get people to laugh, get them out of the headspace a little bit um, just to relax. Um, but that's the one thing with them. And then just encourage them at home, uh, you know, especially when people were isolated, they have kids and stuff like that. It, it might be dancing. It, right. You know, it might be doing something along those lines. And kids love to dance. That's why I said a lot of times it's a lot easier just to say, hey, quick 30-second dance party. Because then if they have kids and stuff like that, it can be like, hey, we're dancing. 30-second dance party. Um, guys don't always want to do that. A lot of times they're up for me, like more of the push-up, chin-up type uh, right, challenges. Right. I'll, I'll bust a move with anybody, anywhere. I'm all about the dance floor. I love there you it. Go. Yeah, I love it. But we're, gonna, get, we're actually going to dance on into a quick commercial break. Oh, though. Cool. We're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, January and Privacy Month, and I can't wait to get your take on that. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram at searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause some quick messages from our sponsors, then we'll be right back with Global CISO Chief Privacy Officer, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Sinet S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. 
by delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics. X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with Global CISO Chief Privacy Officer and Dr. Rebecca Wynn. Man, big month in the privacy space. Rebecca, we had January's Privacy Month. What were the key takeaways? What was the big thing going on? Well, it's interesting. Um, even though there was a lot of um, companies who were um, participating in um, Privacy Month. It was interesting that I was looking to see if there was going to be any like super duper um, big splashes and there wasn't, which that was actually a big surprise um, for me. And I think the reason was is that, you know, people are still coming off the holidays and, and trying to figure out where the security and privacy and compliance fit into this continuing world of uh, COVID-19. Um, and so that's the reason I think that it was a little bit down from where um, I would expect it to be. And, you know, another thing is, is that there are um, a lot of warnings that are being handed down to people. We see GDPR, we see that they've already warned people that they're going to come and they're going to be levying a lot of fines against people. We saw healthcare um, data breaches going up ransomware, um, that's about 50% of those ones. We've seen the most recent attacks. And so I, I think maybe reactionary mode a little bit. Um, but as companies too see that COVID is extending, you see one of two things that are happening. You either see where companies are like, hey, you know, we really need to start massively throwing money back into privacy and security and compliance and risk management, or you see companies going the other way and they're continuing to do the hatchet jobs in those areas. Hmm. Um, and so I, I'm thinking that that probably has some play. And, and when I talk to other sisters and they've been really struggling with that as well, too, where they've seen, you know, staffs cut 50, 60 percent when they've seen um, budgets cut 50, 60 percent when they're like, hey, is there any freeware um, out there that you possibly can use? Because we, we want to throw budgets into features and benefits of products because we need to bring in more revenue. So I think that was probably more of the reasons on why there wasn't more out there and um, to the, the level I would have expected um, privacy and governance teams. I think that everyone's just so reactionary on um, 
trying to run a little bit with the business and, and probably just be honest with you, trying to solidify their own jobs. Yeah, everyone's running a little hot right now, right? I mean, between um, the impacts of, of the pandemic financially, you know, globally on companies, um, people's uncertainty about, you know, their own job in terms of how, um, you know, they're going to be able to, you know, kind of the company, they look down the road at the company, right? And say, okay, how long is their revenue going to hold, right? And they're projecting out, people are kind of, you know, the people get scared. Um, but, you know, so, so where does, where do you see the challenges then for, for the CISO community this year? Um, you know, cause I mean, if, if the privacy landscapes, you know, obviously it's, it's, there's a shift, right? I mean, there, it, there's a shift in the enforcement space. The threats are, I mean, before the holidays right? all oh, last year, right? The ransomware throw was crazy. You get the pandemic, which you know, creates remote work challenges and everything else going on there. Um, and then you've got now solar winds and, you know, everything else going from, from, from that threat actor group. Right. And so um, what are you seeing out of the top challenges? Like what are you anticipating for yourself this year? Well, I've seen, it depends on which type of company. We see companies that are expanding in growth. They're expanding in growth on their product line and they're expanding with the thought process that how do we go ahead and think about security and privacy and compliance and risk management by design and how do we embed that? Then you have other companies who are, I just got to get my product out there and I'll deal with it later. So it's kind of like going back to the almost like what you see in a lot of initial startups. Back to that. I just got to get it out there and I just kind of hope and pray it's going to be okay, um, which isn't good. Um, I do see um, where when people call me to consult with them, the misnomer that if you go to Google or you go to AWS, or you go to Azure, or you partner with someone else who's a cloud provider, that security and privacy and compliance and risk management, that those guys have it all built in and they take care of it for you. Um, and I'm always counseling going, no, they don't, <laughs> right? There's a shared model and you have to pay attention to that shared model. So I did have a company the other day actually uh, reach out to me and, and for my, my opinion, it said, you know, third-party risk management, you know, what in the heck are we even going to do about it? And I said, well, it always should have been treated very um, importantly by a company, but there's a couple of things that I think that companies out there really need to do more holistically. Um, and I've always done this personally myself company out there, you want to do business with them, and they say, hey, they have a SOC 2 or type 1, you know, whichever flavor, 1, 2, or 3. Ask for the full report. Demand that you get the full report and read every single word of that report. If they are PCI, don't go only by that certification. Go ahead and ask for the report of compliance, the ROC. They're usually 200, 250 pages. Read every word. That's going to tell you what level of um you know, competency they were, did they go ahead and pass all their controls? For example, were they only like 65% compliant? And do they have a corrective action plan? You should know that you're, you're at risk. And that's for all of the ones. If they go ahead and have ISO 27001, ask and read the full report. What was tested? How it was tested? If you go ahead and you have high trust, high trust, again, like those other ones, they go by a scope. You need to go ahead and look at that scope. That's what happened with Anthem. Anthem, several years ago when they had breach, they went ahead and they, people were saying, hey, but they're high trust certified. High trust rightfully came back and said, wait, hold on. How they how they were attacked and where they were attacked over phishing, that's not under the high trust scope, guys. That's not on us. Don't look at us. You really need to take a look at that 
So whether it's PCI or it's HIPAA or it's ISO 2701 or whatever it is, really take a look and see what was really in scope. If what you're doing business with that company is in scope, and it's even the CIIQ, right? So the Cloud Security Alliance Framework, what is really in scope? How were the controls tested and how can they be proved and make sure that that company will walk you through if you need to walk through? You got to understand that they can introduce risk to you and you're only as good as your weakest link and you can't have a third party be the weakest link. You brought up SolarWinds and then FireEye really before that. You know what? If a state-sponsored nation state wants to go ahead and get in, you guys should, everybody should take a look at that. If they really, really are targeting you, we're made up of humans. So they're going to find that weakest link. And if they really can't find a weakest link that is directly in you as a company, they're going to look at who you are doing business with and can they get in there and can they use that if you go ahead and you look at the target target if they can't go ahead for pci if they cannot go ahead and they cannot go ahead and get into you by the the normal way the normal vlans the normal network segmentation they're going to look at the out of scope um, network segmentations and maybe the out of scope of the out of scope that's what happened with target right i call it riding the rails they went ahead and they rode the rails were able to go ahead and, and find a way to hop from one vlan to the next vlan hop on over and then they were able to go ahead and actually get into the pci ride the rails in there and then embed the f- firmware you're only as strong as your weakest link all right so let's play devil's advocate a little bit right so mm-hmm. so like i get what you're saying i got it how do you know, like not every company has huge like privacy and risk teams and third-party vendor management teams that are just really large that can go through and vet the thousands of vendors that they have and go through the SOC reports and the level of detail that you're describing, right? Like, and I get the value of it for sure. But like, what would be some strategies for folks to help scale that type of thinking and validation of, you know, or controls assurance for their third parties? Like, where do you think that this goes? One, you have to have a commitment. You have to have a commitment for security, privacy, risk management, and you have to, to have the mindset, we're only as strong as our weakest link. So one of the things is, a lot of times I see companies that have, we have 4,000, 5,000 vendors. Why, why do you have 4,000 or 5,000 vendors? There's a lot of vendors. Um, I've seen companies that are you know, relatively small have that many vendors, right? There's just a lot. But then when I ask them, I'll ask them, I said, so tell me, who are your critical vendors? Uh, right. Okay. You got to, you got to look at the vendor list and you got to go ahead and, 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 and when you go ahead and even to sign up a vendor is who is my critical vendors? Who's my MPLS? How do I connect to the network? Who's the one who's going to go ahead and get my network equipment? Who's the one who's touching the finance team? Who's the one who's touching the HR team? Which one actually has a presence that it can touch the internet? You need to be looking at those, right? And people don't. You have to be able to do that first. You know, and as you brought solar winds, I, I talked to several companies and it's like, you know, do we have solar winds running on the network? And they're like, we're not sure. Okay. How are you going to find out? We're not sure. They don't even know how to find that out. And then you might talk and they'll say, hey, this person in technology says, no, it's running. This person over in security says it's not running. This person over in infrastructure says it's not running. Then you might end up having a finance person says, well, we have one license. Then you get with your vendors, like, how do we figure this out, right? So you have a bad IT asset management, IT software management. And then they find out that you got 500 variations because people can touch on it from GitHub. Right. So, so all of those go back to about what is touching your network and why is it touching to your network? So to get back to third party risk management before procurement and finance, 
buys, any, buys anything, you should have a full description in there. And it doesn't take much to description. Is that considered a critical vendor because it's touching the network sensitive data or something like that? Yes or no, you can do it as a checkbox. And then what is the purpose? When they, one of the, the problems I see is that when they use a third party um, outsourcer, because you have companies out there who don't want to have 9 billion um, people they, they touch base with, so they'll use a third party you, you will only see that subscription. You will only see what you bought as that third party instead of a description of what's bought and why. Add it. It doesn't take that much to do that up front. Then as you, as you asked me too about if you have a smaller team, then you need to look about there are some other companies out there that you can partner with who they themselves will go ahead and it's, it's a, a blanket fee for most of them. And they'll say, hey, we've already looked at these 300 or these 500 um, types of clients. And every year or every six months or every quarter, we do a risk assessment. So we look to see if they're out there in the news. We look and see if, if their websites have any um, security or privacy issues in there. We go ahead and if they have a SOC to other reports, our teams look at that. So what your team can do then is you can go ahead and have subscription to them and it's third teams are using to actually do a lot of those other audits. And so you can have a better um, uh, turnaround for your teams on that we can accept this risk in our risk tolerance because it was given an A or, or B, whatever it is that you want to do based on this other third party who that is their job to do some of the, that heavy lifting. And then when you have something that's super critical, um, then you can go ahead and you can do another layer on top. But you can be better use of your time leveraging other companies to go ahead and um, do some of those reviews for you. Doesn't mean that you need to be a blind eye to it, right? It's still your your butt on the line. But you can go ahead and be smarter about it. But it starts with, as I said, what's your IT asset management? What is your software management? And and then who are those vendors? What's your full vendor list? And then and then what's critical, not critical, you know, start marking those down. Most people don't even do those first initial steps and that causes them a lot of problems. So, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Right. And so, so, so I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, there's a lot of, there seems to be a lot of movement in board of directors starting to think about how they can consume cyber a bit differently today um, and, you know, the word on the street, you know, that I hear is that the wind is kind of blowing in the direction of trying to quantify cyber in financial terms and talking, you know, putting cyber in the language of business, which is, you know, money, right? Like, wh where's your head around that? And kind of what are you seeing or hearing out there? Um, well, I'll put out there, I am looking for a good board position. So if anybody out there is on the, looking for a board person, please reach no. out to me on LinkedIn. Um, but the one thing I always try to do and I try to explain to um, executive boards is it's the return on efficiency on the return on that investment. And that's the one thing that, that I always run up against is where a lot of times I come in and other people have, for one reason or another, maybe I follow people who follow the breach um, and I come in and I'm the second CISO after a breach. So the, the person who came after the breach just gets to go ahead and says, we got to have it. And so they spend all this money. But you don't look at the end-to-end -end cost ownership about instantiation, training teams, things along those lines. And so there's not, there might be return on investment on we got that sale because do you have, I don't know, a SIM? Do you have a firewall? Yes, you do. Check the box. Boom, we got the sale. 
So because we got the sale and the sale was more than what the, it was cost to buy it, we have the return on investment. But you don't have the return on efficiency on that investment unless it's instantiated well and it can use in a positive way to reduce the, the risk and threats that are coming to you. What I have people do, part of it, our challenges in security is metrics and metrics that are meaningful and mindful. I could go ahead and say we had 3 billion people attempt to go ahead and, well, not attempt, who went and, who, who touched my homepage. But what does that mean? Was that a bot just seeing if you're there so you can put it, be put in a search engine? doesn't necessarily mean it's a threat. So that's the challenge we have is, is what numbers are really going to be meaningful to the board? Um, and then be able to get them to take action. And since we are such late players compared to operations and all this stuff, it makes it really tough. You know, one of the things is, is like how many systems are out there, how many systems are properly patched, and, and what does that mean? And then I tell people, wait a minute, it's not only that, but where are they in your geolocation? Where are they per product line? What, are, what patches are, are beyond 90 days, 30 days, or contractual requirements? Because one of the things that I think people really have to be careful of there, and I'll tell you board mayor on patch, is be very careful. I've had too many times in my career where I've had other people patches and say we're 100% patch. And then I go and start doing root cause analysis, and no, you're not. You're 100% patch on what someone else deemed that they were going to patch. So <laughs> even if there's 1,000 patches that need to be applied um, to protect yourself from bad guys, internal or external, they decided they were only going to apply this one patch. And they applied to that one patch to only the one system out of 15,000 systems. So then you're getting on your report, you're 100% compliant, which you're not. So that's the thing is, is I think there's a lot of garbage metrics out there. And security, we depend on a lot of other departments. And so I tell people, make sure you understand where those numbers are coming from. And then be ready for the, the fight or, the, or, or getting it in your face when you have to go ahead and tell a CEO or something like that, that, hey, the numbers that you've been getting aren't accurate. And here's why they're not accurate. You're not being told the true story. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's part of the thing as well, too. So it is complex. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, I'll just take patching, for example. You know, what systems do you need to patch in one order to reduce your, your risk the quickest to the company in the most efficient way to the company? So be careful on that. And also be careful where your, your servers have sit. I, I've been in my career before when I've started and I've had, you know, syslog servers sitting with the development team and the development team controls the syslog server. I've seen that before as well, too. And you're like, why? Why is the syslog server sitting in the middle of a development team? Doesn't make any sense. So it's, it's also, you know, you're asking me another question that's very complex um, on there. But I would tell you that I've yet to go to a company when I started looking even at vulnerability management that I did not find that there was whole systems that weren't accounted for, whole subnets that were never scanned. And uh, it's the typical, you know, open up the drawers and find out what people are hiding away in there. Or they'll say, hey, you didn't ask me about Solaris. You didn't ha ask me about Linux. You didn't ask me about the Ubuntu. So I didn't tell you. Yes. So um, you have to be asking questions about the questions. And the other thing is you really need to have the ability to where you can at least do a discovery. And if they might say, um, you guys are going to bring down an, uh, production or something like that. Don't always buy that, especially if you're just going to do discovery what's out there. It's going to shock you, but you can't protect out there what you don't know, whether it's from looking to know what's on the network, knowing what, what your access control lists are out there, what you know, what servers, what network equipment out there, what printers. I tell people, you want, are you guys absolutely sure even at people working at home that their personal printer is not connected? 
If you don't, better do doing those scans on the systems and see if anybody's connected to their personal um, printer. I bet you 10 to 1 they have. Oh, it's always amazing to see how many devices right, you have at home, right? Every time I <laughs> go on my, my router, I'm always looking. I did it tonight. Uh, you know, I did it tonight. My daughter was like, hey, I want to get on the internet. You blocked it. Can you? It's after the time limit. I'm like, yeah, I'll turn that back on for you for a couple minutes so you can do something real quick. <laughs> Right. But every time you do it, you're like, wow, you know, you get, you know, look, I get alerts every time someone's trying to connect. You always, you get that. Right. But thankfully we're, we, we focus on that stuff, but you're right. Right. And every major breach I was a part of as a consultant, there was always some back server somewhere that was connecting to the network and people had like, Oh, I didn't know that was still there. I didn't know that was still turning on. I didn't know that was connected. Right. So, you know, so you bring up a really good point right around like asset inventory, and the challenges around maintaining that, right? And so for CISOs, we always want to know what that baseline is or that denominator is so we can have, you know, well, percentage of coverage, you know, this percent of the environment has got this tool, we're scanning this. We Like, is that ever going to get solved? Like, for real? Like, I mean, or is that, you know, that's just going to be always something that we're chasing our tail on? Well, I think it would always be chasing our tail, but I think, like you said earlier, it's, it's having a CEO... Um, who really will have your back and, and believe the words that are coming out of your mouth uh, when you say, hey, coverage is not there. And, and so really taking an ear to hear you and then em- really empowering other teams to prove to you that they're patched. And what happens quite frequently is um, even if you do get support, then they'll go ahead and they'll throw you then to the chief operating officer or delivery officer or someone along those lines. They start throwing you down. They start kicking you down the road. Um, and then it puts those layers between you. Um, and then you find out that things get filtered back up differently. So it's kind of like we, we heard you go ahead and warn us. And then we go ahead and, and we want you to take action. And then we allow you to get buried down in the action where everything gets buried again. So what I, what I tell people really have to be empowered by, by the CEOs. And, and I'll bring an example on that. When we looked at Equifax, you had the chief security officer um, who was buried under, you know, the legal officer. And so the legal officer knew things, didn't tell the chief information security officer, even when chief information security officer, um, security officer would go ahead and tell their legal person, the legal person then would go ahead and say stuff to the CEO and stuff like that. So the, C- so the direct conversations between the CEO with the chief information security officer was little to none. And, and that causes a problem consistently uh, when they do that. Not saying that you can't report into a legal officer or someone like those lines, but you got to have those direct lines of communications. And what I've seen consistently is when the, the CISO goes ahead and tries to give very stern warnings, like this is what's happening, this is causing our risks, is what happens is then they get silenced somehow. They get, they get other layers in between. Other people then will go ahead and uh, the CEO is not going to like hearing that. And one of the things I've always said is that I'm going to tell you what you need to hear so then you can determine if you're going to accept that risk or not, right? It, right. And if regulations might say you can't do it or contracts might say that you can't do it. Um, so you might be needing to throw some extra money. We might be able to get some extra equipment or personnel. Okay. Uh, or you might have to slow down a project um, so things can be shored up. But you need to hear it. You need to hear it directly um, from the CISO. So that's the one thing that I noticed pretty consistently. And then when I talk to other um, CISO leaders as well, too, is what happens is, is they end up getting muted um, by other teams. And so that's one thing is I, I think they need to stop that a bit. And then when you talked about boards, when you talk about advisory boards, um, 
that I that have been on and I'm seeking for another role in that as well too is they're bringing on more leaders like myself so then they can go ahead and they can bring in a little bit of that sanity check also um, to those leaders so then they can hopefully those leaders will also then support the system and say you really need to listen to him or her um, because they're the ones who are giving you the, the true skinny um, and pay more attention to the other people on the executive board who keep trying to hide the truth from you. Um, we've seen time and time again where that can come back where you can see the CEO or the CISO um, can have to go ahead and can lose their job or end up being sued for that. Uh, I did find it interesting in the Equifax case that the CISO and the CIO who had already announced their um, retirements way before those, their breach occurs, that both of them um, went ahead and were asked to you know, retire on paper two and a half months early made it look like there was positive action done, but the person who was in, in charge of the CISO, the legal, um, never cost them their job. And they're the ones who were reporting a lot of stuff as well, too. So it's always interesting how those layers um, protect some people and not others. So I yeah, hope that yeah. answered your question. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's going to be an evolving thing. I, you know, I'm hearing there's going to be some guidance coming out of like uh, NACD and, you know, World Economic Forum and ISA, like, you know, it, it, around, you know, what boards want to hear from the CISO. So it'll be interesting to see over, you know, next six, 12 months where that goes. Um, but, you know, I think to your point, right, you don't want to be in a position as a CISO where you're the insurance policy, right? I mean, that's or, the or the chief information scapegoat officer, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right, everybody, we're going to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. But don't go away, folks. We're right back with more from Global CISO Chief Privacy Officer, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. 
X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with Global CISO, Chief Privacy Officer, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. Rebecca, listen, there's so much out there, like in terms of technology, like I'm getting hit up all the time from salespeople. It's nonstop. I can't can't take it anymore. But those folks, I love them, represent some really cool technologies that are out there, right? I mean, there's so much going on. Are there any new technologies that are getting you fired up right now? Yeah, I would tell you, um, though I'm like you, um, I don't know anything about you, but I'm sure you can use our product. By the way, do you, are you using something like it? Um, you know, bad salesmanship 101, do your homework first. Um, but one of the things is, is 5G. 5G is pretty cool. You know, do everything's 100 times faster, you know, better, more fluent. But that gives you 100 times more faster that you can be attacked as well. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that actually does go ahead and, um, excites me, but also makes me a little bit fearful. And and if people also aren't paying attention to that, I I think one of the things too, to go on a slight tangent here that was interesting, um, this past year is it really brought into the fruition about, um, because you talk about making nervous, is legacy systems and, and systems that, um, companies have not been putting money into. They're not, you know, you can't, they didn't patch them, the equipment having to be upgraded, end of life, end of service. That's another thing with my other things. People should always look for, um, if you're doing business with a key company, what's their end of service, end of life, and what's their commitment to actually keep things, you know, at the level that it needs to be. Um, But as we saw that, we saw the MPLS, um, we saw the Verizons and the T-Mobiles and people like that um, get get even more so attacked. And then we saw them having to go ahead and throw more money into their, that backbone to, to shore it up. So it does hit everybody, but that makes me nervous to, do we have the backbone infrastructure from our world perspective to go ahead and maintain the level of protectiveness that we need when we have stuff like 5G um, that are now going on rails being out. Um, I know on paper, people say yes, but just looking at legacy systems that we have around the world that are part of critical infrastructure around the world, it does make me nervous. Um, I don't know how about you feel on that one, but that's that kind of makes me nervous. Yeah, I mean, I think it, together. It, it's interesting, right? I mean, look, you've got just new technology for 5G in general, everything that supports it, moving, moving the analytics and and the connectivity closer to the people that make things faster, right? Where, you know, there's a, you know, every light post is probably going to have an antenna in it, right? I mean, you know, that 
there's a lot that's going to happen there. And some of it's really exciting, uh, really cool stuff. Um, I think what you're really hitting on is, you know, when you start talking about the Verizons and AT&T or T-Mobile, et cetera, like the global infrastructure, I think that's where the debate starts to hit home when we start getting into the Huawei conversation, right? Which is like, you know, can you trust the infrastructure that you're riding on? And I think it actually comes up even if you get out of 5G and go back to solar winds, right? When you start getting into nation, the state against state stuff, right? How do we trust, you know, the software that we use? And I think that's going to be the big, I'm thinking that's going to be the, like, one of the big things we're going to deal with this year is, you know, how do we trust what we're using is actually trusted. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and in this, in the 5g space, it really does come down to, um, you know, not just thinking about the tech, but the motivation of the people who own the tech um, and are driving the tech um, and what their, what their strategies are. Yeah, that's so true. And I read um, a white paper um, this past week, three times, um, need to read it like another seven times because it's so awesome. Um, Altos, A-T-O-S, hope I pronounced the name right, their journey to 2024. And one of the things that they were talking about is when you look at these, you know, smart grids and, and the future networks and really that whole ecosystem, really you're looking at like a collective, you know, consensus and trust that has to be part of that. And I think that's really, really true. And I think that that paper really hit home. Again, it's an awesome paper, Alto's um, Journey 2024. Go ahead and read that. Because when we talk about all these type of technologies, there has to be a collaboration of trust between them. And we saw banks do that a long time ago, right? We have bank consortiums where they go ahead and, and they try to have each other's back. And if one's attacking this bank over here, or if you have one fraudster over here, then, hey, let's go ahead and have, let's go ahead and warn everybody, other banks, so they can go ahead and block it. We really need that true with the infrastructure. When we do that, you need to be globally trusting as well, which is new, right? Because we always we have cyber wars that are going on too. So how, how do you do that? How do you collectively protect the world from a global perspective to be on a global backbone? At the same time, go ahead and, and try to make sure that the bad guys aren't part of that collective that they can go ahead and nefarious stuff. And I think that's going to be, that's, that's a worldwide challenge um, that we're facing. So in the theme of trust, like, and I don't think we're going to solve that problem right here in the last couple of minutes of the show, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, I, I would be interested to get your take on um, the concept of like chief trust officers, right, in companies. So you know, there's been a, a bit of a shift in some companies where, you know, the CISO, you know, it, get rid of that security title and make it a trust title. Um, what are you seeing in, the, in, the, in that transition for companies? Well, you know, if you Google, you, you don't see it that, that often. Um, you know, Emily Heath uh, with DocuSign, and, and she is the title, I think, Chief Information Trust Officer. Maybe she's tre- Chief Trust Officer, but also CISO. I think one of the things is that we as, as CISOs, a lot of times we need to speak to um, clients, potential clients, and we need to be able to show them how they can trust the company and do business with us. And so I think that's the one thing that people just – forgot that we do talk to clients a lot and and they do go ahead and they put their trust in the words that we're saying and it is our reputation um, and our personal brand also gets put on the line as well as the company. So as a reason, I think you've seen some companies along those lines start switching to, you know, do you have a chief innovative trust officer, chief 
security trust officer, trust and security officer with privacy, is that we do at times wear, wear multiple hats um, when, when you're at the levels that the, some of us are. And so how, how can we kind of convey that? The other thing is, is companies out there who are really looking at, can I, can, can I really trust you from a third-party risk management, having from a branding standpoint, having trust also in the name, maybe go ahead and give them a little better feel. Um, but it just kind of really depends on how the company wants to position themselves. I don't think my day-to-day job uh, on what my, is in my wheelhouse does not change um, for me personally, because I've always done security and trust and risk management and privacy. So you, you've got such a broad background, right, with, between security and privacy risk. You know, do you, where do you see the future in converged security models where all those are rolled in together? Well, one of the things that's funny, because when I've um, talked to other people, there, there was a, initial, there was a shift where we had people who came out of networking or technology, and then they tried to take the, the security hat on, um, but still coming from availability standpoint. Remember that we, we know availability is important for businesses to run. If data does not flow, money doesn't come in. But we also have to think about the integrity and the confidentiality of data, right? That's what's going to get you in trouble um, if there's a breach or something along those lines. And so we always have to kind of balance those. And I tell people, you know, at times I'm the safety stop. It doesn't mean it's a permanent stop, but it's a safety pause. Hold on a second. So then they went ahead and they shifted away from that. And they shifted to someone who could theoretically just talk to the board about budgets and, and operations. And that was a failure um, because, there was no checks and balances on the infrastructure teams, networking teams, and things along those lines on who were just, I'll do anything for availability. And so I have seen where there are teams out there, even security teams, that if you, if you want availability, fine, I'll just go ahead and sign off on it, uh, which is a wrong mindset. So what we have started seeing is a shift to, we really need these great hybrid leaders who not only can have a strong business sense, but very strong technical sense and understanding the words that are coming out of your mouth and how that will play from a risk and privacy, and like you said, trust, um, security and compliance perspective, and what is the repercussions on those other lines. So then we can make a more holistic decision. So I think people who are like me are more of a hybrid, but they are the hybrid that are becoming more in demand because you do need those type of leaders um, out there. They need those bigger sanity checks that are out there. And then what, I, what I've seen is there really needs to be a bigger push away f- from certificates and having certifications. You know, um, I have a lot of certifications. I got another one this past year too, just on something that I'd already been doing. But I see you have to be very careful that, that it's not the certification mill that, that has been around for years. I've run into too many people who have cloud certifications and, and, and even CISA and different things along those lines. But they, you can't have an educated discussion with them and then they can't actually put what they just theoretically got a certificate on they can't put into action so there's a really big push on performance-based learning objections and people can be behind the keyboard and actually be able to secure that Um, so I think that's the bigger push that needs to come right now is the critical thinking skills the so what what does it mean technology helps us um, for machine learning and AI, a lot of times you might be able to have a, a sim that's on steroids, it's next gen, that can do a lot of correlations and maybe you don't need to have 10 analysts. You can have one analyst, but you still have to, what does it mean and what are the, 
the white areas, the, the white spaces out there that they might not be looking at. And if they're looking at everything that's in your right hand and, and doing a good job, what's in your left hand? So I think those are the skills that we're even missing on that, a team dynamic. And then the other thing is, is from security leaders, we have to be able and to not be fearful um, on saying, hey, hold on a second. This needs to be considered. Have you thought about this? What's the what's the, so what? Um, and not get not feel pressured to get beaten down um, by making their voices heard. I think that's the other thing that we need to get out holistically, um, um, where we're invited to the party, but more like the person who's just be sitting in the back. And when I tell you to go get some chips, go get some chips. We need to to be in the party, and we need to be able to go ahead and, and make our voices heard. And that's still a holistic struggle, but I think with the right companies, that's getting better as well too. Um, hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, look, I love giving your perspective. I'm glad you're on the show. I really appreciate you coming tonight. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.